what's going on ladies and gentlemen boys and girls welcome to friday night it is 5 5 p.m pacific standard time and you're at your place for the unfiltered experience with myself christopher roush your no excuses coach and i'm joined by where's scott where's scott goyette you can see my kitty cat in the background what's up where's scott goyette scott goyette is still in tanzania so we wish scott all the best we have an amazing show for you tonight so whether you're watching this live or on the replay thank you thank you thank you for being here in the unfiltered experience as always to be a part of the facebook community to be able to get a part of the audio podcast go to www.theunfilteredexperience.com the unfilteredexperience.com that's the place you always go to and so far we've already got in the house we've got uh we got Glenda in the house. She says, what's up? Hey, y'all. What's up, Glenda? Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're having a blessed week and I hope you're having a great Friday night where you are coming in from. I think you're coming in from Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, if you're still there. We got Hooked on Humanity. We got Nellie in the house. She goes, is it Friday already? Yes, it is. She goes, hello, all. Thank you for being with us uh, very much, Nellie, and with Hooked on Humanity. And uh, just to let you guys know here, just a little quick commercial before we get started. This show is brought to you by the folks at Help Heal Humanity, helphealhumanity.org. It happens to be a brilliant organization that I'm a part of. I've been a part of this uh, amazing organization for now about three years on the board of directors. And uh, the reason why I joined it is I had the opportunity to interview Serena Buffalino, the CEO and the founder here, both on this show and also my Raw and Scripted show. And I immediately fell in love with her enthusiasm, her passion, her tenacity, her drive, everything, everything that she wanted to do and, not, and go out there and actually make the world a better place by healing humanity. And through the conversation, she said, if I start a USA board, would you be interested in joining the organization? And I said, absolutely. So we always bring this to you every single week. When you get value out of this particular episode, we encourage you go, to go over to the www.helphealhumanity.org and donate what you can, whether it's five bucks, 25 bucks, if you want to sponsor a kid, or if you want to donate $200, then what you will get from me as a free hour of my coaching time uh, as part of that gift. So you make a $200 tax deductible donation, you help heal humanity, and you get an hour of my time to talk about whatever it is you want in the area of coaching and mindset and attitude and success and goal setting and whatever it is you want to do. So together we can raise the vibration of this planet because that's our intent every single week when Scott's here as well, is that we want to elevate our souls and our opportunity to have better confidence and more clarity in what it is that we're doing and where we've been, but more importantly, where we're going. We, I think we have, all have a responsibility in this world to make sure that we are uh, leveling up and helping one another level up, no matter what the news or any of the politicians say. Together we are humanity, no whether you're black, white, straight, gay, Republican, Democrat, together we all bleed the same color. You rip us down the middle, we're all the same on the inside, and together we can help heal humanity. So be sure to go check us out if you're interested in become, becoming a board member or getting interested in uh, involved in the organization, by all means, check it out there. We have volunteer positions all the time. And we would love to have you as part of this organization. I know a few of you guys have reached out and checked it out. So thank you for that. And uh, without any further ado, we're going to be getting into this particular show tonight. We got Andrea in the house. She says, good evening. Thank you, Andrea, for being here. My hearts and my blessings go out to you, my dear. Um, yes, Glenda says she is calling in from Carrollton, Georgia. So we got Carrollton, Georgia coming in on this uh, broadcast. We got Kelsey Matheson. What's up, Kelsey? Good to be good to have you here. Kelsey was a guest on the show just a couple of weeks ago. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here and spending your time with us. And she gives us two little red hearts. So now that uh, we got all that stuff out of the way, thank you guys for being here. Um, since Scott isn't here, I got a special treat for you guys. She's actually been a guest on the show a few times at the very least. Uh, she's a proud sponsor of the show as well with her enthusiasm and the guests that she has us come on uh, on the show. If you guys remember Jimmy Dennis, 
That was uh, one of the recommendations by my special co-host tonight, uh, Serena Buffalino. I was introduced by uh, my special co-host tonight, and she's an amazing person. She's an art uh, lover. She's an artist. She's out there. She's an author, uh, and she's an all-around drummer girl. So please welcome to the Unfiltered Experience as my special co-host, Patricia Geige. Patricia, what's going on? Thank you for being here. Hi. Oh, you. no, this is... This is super cool to be here tonight. Uh, I, and again, this this literally I have just arrived here like within like five minutes. So deep breath chaos. But I, I am super stoked to be with you tonight, Christopher. Um, we've known each other for a long time. And of course, to have my my super amazing uh, friend and guest uh, tonight. So I'll let you take it away. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm super honored. We even got even my buddy, Barry Dunford in the house. My bowl, my, this is, this goes back to my corporate days. Barry's in the house. Thank you, Barry, for being here. I appreciate you brother for being that. And uh, Andrea says, welcome Patricia. So thank you for thank that. You. Yes. Uh, our guest tonight, I just had an opportunity to get a hold and talk to him for a few moments before we started this show. Normally I interview the guests before they come on the show, but because he was a uh, recommendation for you, um, I just got a chance to talk to him. And tonight we're going to have a brilliant conversation about imposter syndrome about connecting with the deeper sense of self. He's a phenomenal artist. He's in the art world community. And please welcome to the Unfiltered Experience, Mr. Theo Johns. What's going on, Theo? Welcome to the Unfiltered Experience, brother. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we appreciate you being here. It's going to be an exciting show with my friend Patricia here co-hosting with me. And I just want to kind of really just drop into it. I mean, there's so many amazing things that we can talk about tonight. Talk to us about your journey in 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 the art world and within yourself to get to a place where having this discussion tonight about having a deeper connection to self means so much to you. Well, I think that um, my story begins with me as a child. Up, my upbringing was in London. As you can probably hear, I am British, so um, a little bit. <laughs> the I was born into a family that was a very art-based family. My mother is an artist and still is an artist, uh, and she taught art most of her life. And then my father has been on the other side of the art business of being the sort of uh, commercial side, and uh, he started off working uh, in auction houses at Sotheby's. And he sort of grew in the ranks uh, up from just being a sort of a the bellboy at the beginning and sort of became director at the age of 26 and then was sort of head of the department age 27. And so, you know, he was one of these guys who, uh, you know, he was an only child and he made his way through and he stormed through. And he was in that generation. It was the sort of the baby boomers. So they had a great time. <laughs> Uh, they, my grandfather worked at a, um, an important London gallery as well called Nerdler Galleries and he ran that ship and my great grandfather also had a, um, an antiques and art place in London and my great, great grandfather also had, so it's, it's sort of in the blood. So I was one of the only children that sort of decided out of four of us, because I have a, a full sister and, uh, two half sister and brother uh and they all did sensible jobs and sort of you know went into places where they could get paid a salary and get paid <laughs> monthly um <laughs> whereas i decided to follow this path into the art world uh and, and work with my father for a bit and uh, as some listeners may understand and know uh, that working in family cannot always sort of work out that well uh and 
I sort of was sent off to different places to go and work at auction houses. And I feel that, you know, it was a, I was very young at the time and it felt like the right thing to do because I was being told to do it. Uh -huh. uh, so I sort of got stuck into it at an early age. And uh, I think I started right at the bottom and which was great because I sort of learned, I have learned so much over my last 20, almost 26 years of working in the art industry. Uh, and it sort of feels, I sometimes look back and I think, did I write, make the right decision? You know? <laughs> uh, and I think maybe, you know, what would have happened if I'd gone to university and didn't sort of, you know, start working at 16 and, and do all of these things. Uh, maybe my life would have had a different trajectory. But, you know, as I've come to understand that whatever happened, happened. You know, right. I can't change that now. Um, all I can do is take what I have with me and go forwards. So, and, and that, that's a big part of my story of actually coming to understand that and, you know, understand that, you know, if I'm not happy in a situation, what can I change and what can't I change? You know, because if I try to change the things I can't change, it just drives me insane. And, <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's the definition of insanity where you sit there and we try to change the things that we mm -hmm. can't change, hoping, wishing and praying that some other outcome comes out of that. If you don't, if you didn't get it in the art world, what do you think you might have got? What type of occupation do you think you might have gone into if you went to a university? Uh, well, I think I was always very artistic at school and I have been an artist and sort of do do it sometimes. It's something that I've uh, I do draw and sketch and stuff like that, but I've never really focused on it properly. And I think I remember from school, it was one of my most passionate subjects. Um, chemistry also was a weird sort of uh, passion that I had. Um, and I can still memorize all of the, you know, the chemical reactivity series and all those sort of things. Periodic that, table. Periodic table and all that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's when you go through the metals and you think, okay, I know that it's potassium, magnesium, calcium, aluminium, iron, aluminium, zinc. <laughs> copper mercury silver and gold you know it's like boom you know it's like those this, random things that get stuck in your head this is a new piece of news that we did not know about you mm, oh you didn't neat. know oh, well there we go yeah <laughs> so theo you sort of have been a rebel in the art world there's no question mm -hmm. about that so one of the interesting things about you you're in new york right now however yeah. you, you do live in the dominican republic as well i do i have a, i have a a house there and a family there which i Yep. go back and forth and visit and so it's a it's an interesting life at the moment and so you know i have my two daughters i have a, a one-year-old and a uh, almost six-year-old so uh, pretty much any day now so it's, uh, oh, it's that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I have a six year old yeah. son that we adopted from birth and it's been an absolute game changer. I'm 54. So it's later in life for me having kids and yeah. the things that I've learned from my son and the, and the ability to really get still in the moment. Whereas mm -hmm. before I was always pontificating about the past and thinking about how I could have done something better or hypothesizing about the future and what it is that I'm going to do and how I'm going to become successful. Having my son is like really taught me like just to be present in the moment because Absolutely. that's really where the gifts are mm -hmm. at. And you know what, it's, uh, I was just thinking to myself the other day, when I'm out there making a living and doing the stuff I do to make a living, and I suddenly have a moment where I'm feeling as though I really don't want to do what I'm doing, I think, okay, think about what your responsibility is. What, who are you providing for? Who are you doing mm -hmm. this for? You know, I'm not just doing it for me. I have, I have children. I have two daughters. So I need to make sure that I just get up 
off my ass and get on with it and yeah, sort of you know i have that to do table, right yeah exactly so yeah for me it's a it's a, a massive drive for me um it's uh, i'm i'm the sort of person that can get quite i can procrastinate quite <laughs> a lot sometimes and uh, i think that's all part of my spiritual malady that i sometimes enter into of, of saying you know this can be done later but the more and more i realize that when you do things on the spot and you get it done wow it's a great feeling it is it is you know getting just just doing what you didn't think you were going to be able to do or or putting something off for such a period of time and then being able to go get it and do it and check it off your system that's one of the things that i do as a coach is getting people to to figure out what it is that they're procrastinating about whether it's a fear of success a fear of failure um doing things for the wrong reason you know one of the biggest regrets from people living as written by the guy the lady that wrote the the book the five regrets of the dying was that people regretted living the life they thought they were supposed to live rather than truly living the life they wanted to live and that's what they found out was the reason for the procrastination because they were putting their ladder up against the wall of success that would belong to somebody else. Um, how did you guys meet? Oh, I'm just interested in see how you and Patty met, and then I've got a couple other questions for you as well. Okay. Well, Patty, do you want to, you go for it? Uh, yes. Okay. So my nephew, Christopher, also had uh, played hockey and he was living in the States and he reconnected with Curtis. Uh, who is actually one of the founders of Authentify Art. And Christopher said, you know, you really do need to talk to my Auntie Patty because she's an artist and, and you need to talk to her. And so Curtis and I had a phone call. And the next thing I know, I'm in a, in a conversation with Theo. This is going back a few years. And we uh, started talking about doing NFTs, which is a huge part of what, uh, you know, the future, the metaverse is all about. And I was invited to participate uh, at the LA NFT show. And so that was the first time we actually had a year of Zooms, I think, and then mm -hmm. finally had the opportunity to meet. And uh, so it's just been blossoming from, from there. So that's how the connection started. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And when, when did I see you when you were down in, in California? Was that an NFT convention or was that, that just an art? You convention? showed up. Yes, you were. You Yes, that's where we, we met. So the two of you actually did meet. Oh we did. God. We crossed paths somehow. We, yeah, we you must did. Have. You were Absolutely. there. You were in. Now it. See? See, I was remembering too. I mean, I met you 10 years ago, obviously, but when yeah. I saw you recently down in Los Angeles, I thought that was for an NFT convention because we walked this around was and, it. Show, and this and was Monica was there. My art. Yes, yes, and yes. now you say that, I do remember meeting you, Christopher. It yes. Was, uh, yeah, it was very brief, but I do remember it now. It was. There are it was a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. See, look at that. We're one big happy family all back together. We are. <laughs> okay, so we got we got more people in the house. We got uh, Greg. The we got some guy named Greg. Uh, do you know this, Hi. Patty? You, yeah, Greg. Greg says, "Well, hello, Theo, and Authentify Art, and hello, Lotus and Christopher." Uh, hey, Greg. Thank so you for being here, Greg. Shout out here. So, Greg actually is uh, my uh, my partner in crime of art. So, and also drummer. And we were friends. We actually met when we were 12 and 13 years old. And so fast forward a million years, uh, now we have the opportunity to work together. So we are Lotus 97.7. And Lotus is me, 97.7 is because Greg is 97.7% Italian. So we combined <laughs> that. And uh, he's also a professional uh, percussionist and drummer. And uh, so that is one of the reasons why I am now drumming and uh, own three drum kits. <laughs> Three drum kits. Wow, I own 12 guitars, so we got a band going. We do. <laughs> what, 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 what musical instrument do you play? 
Theo? Uh, well, right now I don't really play any musical instrument, although I did spend a long time in my youth playing acoustic guitar. Yeah, uh, so we got a band together. Let's get, let's do it. Let's rock and roll. Let's go set, let's go set the world on fire with music. Music was Absolutely. one of my major, major passions. I'm not very good at it. I have music. I have like microphones tattooed. I have guitars tattooed, but all that good stuff. But I want to just jump right into the deep end of the pool. We're talking about, you know, having a deeper connection to ourselves. And I know for me personally, the better, the better situations that I've had, I guess the more affluent situations that I've had to be able to connect with myself are during my lowest times. I mean, I think that's one of the times where we have to get real and raw with ourselves. So yeah. tell us about a low point in your life, Theo, where you really got that opportunity to connect with yourself on a level that you weren't really necessarily used to, perhaps. Uh, well, I think probably I will go back to the time where I, I used to drink heavily uh, and alcohol was a... Uh, a good friend for me for quite a few years I understand. Uh, and it was a it was a great support in my uh my twisted thinking brain of back then when i was uh, understanding things in a different way uh, greg i agree with you her hair is beautiful <laughs> oh my god i'm blushing <laughs> uh and yeah it it, it sort of um i sort of was in serious denial about the way I used alcohol and also other drugs as well. And it was a very dark, low point in my life. Actually, it's sort of, um, it culminated in my decision that I had been forced into something that I didn't want to do in my work life by my family situation, that I was not good enough, that I wasn't the same as other people. And, and I sort of went into a, a downward cycle of doing the job that I knew and knew extremely well how to do. Um, but then I kept on sort of, you know, shooting myself in the foot. Mm. I was like saying, I can do this, but I'm going to turn up uh, to a situation late. I'm going to get, uh, I sort of created problems for myself over and over again. Uh, when I could see an exit, uh, I wouldn't take it. I would say, no, this is, I'm in control. And that was my biggest biggest <laughs> problem. I thought that I was in control of who I was. I thought I was in control of my life. I thought literally that I was my own God. Uh, Theo, because, I'm curious, mm -hmm. did you have a dream? Like, was there inside of you this, this hidden magical space in your head that while you were going through everything, somehow deep inside of you, you kept saying, you know, but my dream is to be here or my dream is to do that. I'm just, I'm curious because you're so accomplished. I, I always had this sort of, uh, this passion. And I think I, what I put on myself was that this determination to prove certain members of my family, I won't say which one, uh, wrong, <laughs> <laughs> that it was, uh, that I was, uh, somebody that wanted to sort of, you know, escape, release myself and be my own person. And I felt trapped within the confines of the situation that I was in. Uh, I always felt as though I was smarter, quicker, uh, and sort of, you know, slightly more put together in the way that I understood the world than other people. Uh, and I felt trapped by that because I kept on finding myself in situations where it's called life, by the way, um, <laughs> uh, in situations where I just had to shut up and just do what I needed to do and not sort of think that I knew everything and sort of, you know, take control of situations everywhere I went. Uh, 
that was produced from a side of me that was a uh, a side where I I felt rejected by most uh, entities and people and things and stuff like that, and I felt that I was always sort of uh, different. I suppose that's the way of saying it. That I was almost I think one of my things that I understand from my existence is that I'm very good at believing that I am special and different when I'm not. I'm actually just the same as you and everybody else. Although I have a certain way of doing my own thing and I have understandings of the world in my own way. It's just, you know, it got me into a sort of a, a cycle of not understanding who I was. Uh, and I and I sort of still, you know, I always remembered that from my childhood, I was this sort of uh, fun-loving kid that was sort of, you know, excited about everything, creating, doing things. And I think I just, I, I stopped myself from sort of, you know, uh, excelling in the things that I loved doing because I was constantly on a different mission about proving to other people certain feelings. So. I, I love this, but I want to, I, I feel like Christopher, just hearing what he's saying, you must be sitting there going, I just can't wait to tell you about me, you, because there's there's so many things in our lives that have that similarity. And, and I don't know that Theo knows your story and I know it's it's not your interview. However, um, there is this there is this challenge about how do we incorporate what has happened to us to bring us to a new level of confidence. So I, I really think that the two of you, I want to hear this. What's from what is the piece of your mind that finally gave you what you would call your highest confidence? Like, what, where did that come from or what happened? It's a great question. That is a great question. I think one of, the, one of the things in my life that predominantly sort of occupied my brain was fear. Um, yeah. And it was fear of fear, basically. That's what it boiled down to. Uh, and fear is a, is, a, is a crazy thing because it's uh, it, in one's mind it can grow into this enormous monster, uh, and if you let it, um, yeah. and it's you know it's about understanding and practicing that, you know it's for me it's repetition and it's repetition with understanding that I can beat that fear because I'm the one that created it. Uh, so I think that's important that that was one of the biggest revelations and sort of, you know, hallelujah moments that I understood that it was actually me creating all of these things that I was scared of. But what else mm. helped you? Was there, was there a book? Was there a program? Mm. Was there something that actually just hit you over the head that split second and said, oh my God, I am the most amazing person and I'm going to do this. Well, I like the the fact that you said something hit me over the head and <laughs> made me feel like that because I was involved in a pretty uh, drastic uh, accident uh, due to my drinking of alcohol. Yeah. Wow. And any that. normal person would think that that would be enough to make me stop drinking. I was mm. in hospital for, for eight weeks. I was in a coma for two and a half weeks, an induced coma. I wow. was literally, I was literally dead because I had pneumonia. I had septicemia. I had, uh, uh, I had uh, internal cranial pressure where my brain was swelling so much that they had to actually remove the front section of my skull to release oh. the pressure. So, oh, uh, dude, yeah. So, 
that was, uh, I still don't know today what actually happened to me. I was just discovered in the road and uh, thank God I was discovered right next to one of the best neurological hospitals in London. Wow. Uh, and they whisked me in there and the the beloved NHS health system of the uh, of the United Kingdom saved my life. So, you know, not only did I, it, not only did I get saved uh, from death, but it was for free, basically. So, and how uh, old were you? How old were you when you had this accident? I was, uh, how old were, uh, I must have been 20, 28, I think it was, or 29, yeah. 28 or 29. So that that is for me, that's the Kurt Cobain years. It's the, <laughs> yep. it's, yeah. it's, it's the moment of, you know, which way do I go? This way or this way, you know? Um, turn left or turn right. Yeah. <clears throat> and so and that, was, that wasn't enough for you to quit drinking based on that, that experience? No. And that's uh, one of the interesting stories for me of why I know I really do have a serious uh, issue with uh, addictive disorders and personality sort of you know things like that is that i finished my treatment in the hospital they uh they stuck my original bone back in that they had taken out um that they kept in the fridge somewhere uh and that was like a beer like here's your exactly give it back to you (laughs) so after i think it was about six weeks they stuck that back in and by that time i'd been in bed so long that all my muscles had disappeared so i had to learn how to walk again atrophy Um, yeah it's incredible how quickly your muscles just disappear if you don't use them uh and so i had to get back on my feet get out there and um you know really sort of feel as though i was sort of rehabilitated Everybody I knew, my entire family were like, wow, okay, well, he's reached a point that he's so lucky. The angel saved him. Here's the chance of life that you have been given to start again. Your karma was really, really playing out there. Oh, it was seriously playing out. Seriously. Um, And so I I went out of the hospital and I went back to my apartment where I lived at the time. um, And I was living by myself because I, I did have a... A, a girlfriend at the time uh, who was, let's say it was a choice made under the influence. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she had vacated my apartment during my time in hospital and didn't even come to see me. So, whoa. It, yeah, it was a weird, weird situation. So I went back there and uh, I was sitting on my couch and thinking, okay, look at me. I survived this incredible sort of situation. And something in my head said, you know, you should go and celebrate that you, you you survived this, you know. And I was, before I knew it, I was walking down to my local bar where I had always drunk. And actually, I drank the night the accident had happened. That was the start of the evening. And I went in there and even the proprietors and the owners sort of looked at me and said, Theo, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Uh-huh. Did they and, serve you? Did they look <clears throat> at you and say... You know they they, they said that they didn't want to serve me. And uh, I said to them that I wanted a drink and it was my right to choose what I wanted to do. So they said, fair enough. Uh, and so, and as I left the hospital, the actual doctors had said to me, not because they knew of, that I was a heavy drinker, but they said, you can't drink at the moment because you are on anticonvulsants when you leave. Uh-huh. Right. So be careful, don't drink. So 
that was noted very clearly in my head. But <laughs> <So, laughs> you still went ahead and did it anyway. Yeah, and I and I, I and I had that drink, and after the second drink, I was on the floor convulsing. <gasps> oh my god! And I was back in the ambulance and back in the hospital where I just come out of. Wow! Did you, ever, Sorry. did you ever? Did you ever regret for taking that drink? So after two days back in the hospital, I came out and I went back to my apartment again. And I sat there and I said, okay. And it wasn't sort of weirdly, it wasn't that moment of sort of drama of the accident of the hospital. It's just that I sat on the sofa and I looked out the window and I was thinking to myself, I said, I'm tired. I'm tired of going through this again and again and again. And it's like this sort of, mm -hmm. you know, that moment of clarity that suddenly hit me and said, do I want to lie? Do, wanna, do I want to live or do I want to die? You want off the I, hamster wheel. <laughs> yeah, because I, I knew that if I continued, that would be it. That would be, you know, <clears throat> for me, it's that time of I'd either end up in some institution, I'd end up in a jail or I would be kaput. So you and I, you and I had the same, the same the actual process. So I'll share what Patricia wants me to share. I mean, essentially, like I told you before we went, we went live. My story was that at the age of 13, I came home from school and found out my mom spent all of the money on rent on trying to save her dying cat. And unfortunately, we became evicted from our house and we moved into our 1969 Country Squire station wagon with not only myself and my mother, but also 18 cats and two dogs. And for the four ensuing years, I was in and out of motels, in and out of the car, digging through dumpsters for cans and newspapers and bottles to feed the cats, give my mom her cigarettes and her beer, and then ultimately eat and sometimes find a place to stay. Mm -hmm. Through those four years, uh, I tried to kill myself twice. Fortunately, I sucked at it. Um, I got carjacked one time. There was all these sorts of different things that happened over and over and over again. And all I ever wanted was to be able to go back to school and have a normal life. And ultimately what happened is, uh, I believe God source universe, uh, provides you opportunities when you're being tested, like you were being tested as well. And I came back from, uh, the liquor store actually of all things. And I was staying at this very sleazy motel, not too far away from Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. And I walked in the back part of the motel where it was always dark. It was, there was a side street there and I came walking in and this black gentleman walks up to me and he goes, Hey man, you want to buy a carton of reds? And I said, no, 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 bro. I don't, I don't smoke reds. And I tried to keep on walking and he, I could tell he was getting frustrated pretty quick. He's like, no, man. He goes, come on. I got a carton of reds for five bucks. And I said, yo, dude, I said, I don't smoke reds. I said, I smoke menthols. I said, if you have a carton of menthols, let me know. And I kept trying to walk, walk away. And then he walked right in front of me and he's got really belligerent. And he goes, he goes, is it because I'm black? And I'm not telling you the abbreviated story. I said, I said, I don't care what color your skin is. I said, I care what color the pack of cigarettes are. And I don't smoke Marlboro Reds. I said, I grew up in Inglewood where I was the only white kid in a black neighborhood. So that's not even a factor. And I went to go reach into my back pocket to get my cool menthol cigarettes, my 100s. And as soon as I reached back there, he had a nine millimeter gun put to my forehead. And he thought I was reaching for a weapon and he was freshly out of prison. I found out later on and didn't have very much, uh, very good opportunities with white people. So he was ready to, to make his mark. And I looked at him and I was still in the back of the motel. There was no lights. I couldn't really see my, what much of what was going on. And I looked at him and after the two sale, two suicide failed attempts, I sat there and looked him straight directly in the face. And I said, if you're going to pull the fucking trigger, pull it. And I just closed my eyes and I thought I was going to be dead and I thought I was going to be all over. And then ultimately uh, a friend of mine, Will, came running out of one of the motel rooms. He's like, no, no, him and his moms are cool. Him and his moms are cool. And I sat there and I took a, a sigh of relief and he put the gun down and wound up, uh, we wound up uh, becoming friends somewhat. But from that experience, you know, literally almost having my brains blown out. Uh, a couple of days later, I was sitting at the top of the stairs waiting for my mom to come out of her motel room. I actually stayed in another motel room with this other guy who had muscular dystrophy, but that's another story. And I honestly, you know, I was sitting there looking around. I saw the prostitution and the drug dealing. 
and every, the cops were coming in and out and just looked back on my four years of my life. And I was doing bad things with bad people. I was drinking, I was smoking, I was doing drugs. I was 17 years old. And I thought, if I don't do something with my life, I'm going to get out of here either in a pine box because I'll be dead or in the back of a patrol car because I was doing bad things. And again, that whole God source universe starts to open things up. And I was like, I got to get out of here on my own. But I was so afraid to leave my mom. Everybody had deserted her. My half sister deserted her. Her husband deserted her. And I was the only one there really trying to keep everything going, even though I was, you know, 17 years old at the time when my mom was in her 40s. And so uh, a guy that lived at the motel as well with me, we worked in a telemarketing job out of this guy's apartment. He closed down his office and he had to do it out of his apartment. And we went to work this couple of days just after this happened. And he goes, well, guys, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And we're like, I said to him, I said, dude, I've had enough bad news to last me a lifetime. What's up? He goes, well, I know you guys are in this motel situation. I know you've been homeless. He goes, I have to close up operations. By the way, that's the bad news. I'm going to move it to Texas. He goes, but what I want to do is leave you my apartment here for you guys to take over. You don't have to come up with a deposit. You don't have to come up with the first and last. He goes, I just want to give you guys a place that you can stay and kind of have a, a fresh start in your life. And Robert and I looked at each other and I like, like get teared up thinking about it. Uh, we were like, oh my God, we can do this. You know, we can get your brother. We can get so-and-so. It was like in Huntington Beach, California, Surf City. It was a beautiful two-bedroom apartment, beautiful grounds. I'd never seen anything like so nice. And I'm like, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. And then it hit me. I'm like, wait, I'm at this motel with my mom, you know, working two jobs to try to keep a roof over her head. There's no way she's going to let me do this. And then long story short, I gave it a couple of days and I started realizing like, again, going back to that, that decision, if I don't get out of here on my own, if I don't take care of myself and put myself as a priority, I'm going to wind up dead or in jail. And so I wound up telling my mom and I thought for the first time in my life, she's going to say, you know what, Chris, I've screwed your mm -hmm. life up enough. You know, please go do this and have an opportunity maybe to go back to school maybe go to college. And, uh, but no, when I told her, she's like, how could you be so selfish and inconsiderate? What am I supposed to do? I could get hurt here. What it's going to happen to the animals. Cause we still had the 18 cats in a 10 by 10 motel room that nobody ever knew about, which is, un which is unbelievable. And again, I had to sit there and think about it for myself. And I made the toughest decision that I ever made in my life. One of the toughest decisions. And I left her in the situation. I still went back and helped her every other night, pretty much, but I left that situation. And then as a result, I met an amazing man named Bill White and he poured into me and he was like, Chris, have you ever thought about going back to school? I'm like, dude, I'm 18 years old. You know, there's no way I can go back to school. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to make up high school. Long story short, I went back and got my GED. I didn't even know what the hell that was. Got my GED at 18 years old. And then he said, uh, he says, what do you think about going to college? And I'm like, dude, really? I was told I was stupid my entire life. I did poorly in school because I had a vision problem and a hearing problem that they never diagnosed. I said, I thought I was totally stupid. I said, I got the GED thing so I could still keep dating your daughter. What do you want from me? And so I just decided I went to Golden West Community College here in Southern California and I walked up to the admissions desk with long hair and a leather jacket, flicked my cigarette out, 18 years old, you know, almost feeling like I was 35. And I walked in the door and I said, hi, I have no idea what I'm doing here, but I'd like to come to school. Can you please help me? And three hours later, I walked out with school books. And then 12 years later, I walked out with a master's degree. So that's ultimately like the, 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 the ending of the story, if you will. And then from that point on, I used my story and all my experiences to become a professional speaker and become a life coach and to do shows like this, to kind of tap into people's resources, to have that interconnected sense of self with them. And it sounds like you got to the same point that you got to that point. Like if I continue doing what I'm going to do, I'm going to wind up down this path. And you made that tough decision. Talk to us about how that impacted your relationships with your family and your friends. Uh, I believe, well, it was interesting because that last uh, time that I had the accident was sort of in a sense a relapse for me because I'd already started trying to stop drinking and uh, it was in and out, in and out, and I was drinking again, stopped drinking. And it was the, the run up to that that I had some pretty bad experiences and it was just sort of, you know, putting me in a situation where I was 
the black sheep of the family and it was you know being pushed away further and further and further and further and further by uh my core members of my family i mean my mother was always by my side and always there for me when i needed but it was getting difficult and it was tricky my father was completely sort of embarrassed by me and other members of my family and my still today my half brother and sister uh, sort of have it have a tricky time with me uh because In what way? no but that's their decision uh, it's not mine so i let them be who they are and i am who who i am so you know it's not for me to change the way they are um and so you know it was that those that run up of the year before that big accident uh, and before i actually stopped since then to now uh from having any drugs or alcohol in my system it's um <clears throat> what's interesting is is that i went through some really quite shocking experiences uh and you know these were these were times where you know for example i was went to go on a, a work uh mission out to italy for my art business and i was running a uh like a stand a booth in an art fair in milan which sounds beautiful and romantic and 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 really nice and mm -hmm. there was me drinking every day in the morning and everything just to get through the day because i had created this fear mm -hmm. which i then had to drink to subside which then created more fear Boom, it was cycles on cycle and i was you know i went out in the evening there to just to forget about everything and you know and the more alcohol i put into me the more I thought I was escaping from that fear. But yeah. come the next morning, it was back again with a vengeance. And, you know, I ended up in weird situations where I was being led around the city of Milan and by drug dealers in the, in the nighttime going to crack houses wow. and being sexually assaulted, you know, just on this idea that I was with people that understood me. And I was thinking that these people were friends, you know. <laughs> and that's where I got to that I thought that, you know, I was so uh, belittling of myself that I thought that I was comfortable and happy in that situation, you know. Theo, mm. did you ever sit and say to yourself, <clears throat> and I guess we all do at some point in time, but what do, you have to have done this? What is my true purpose of my life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and I'm, I'm a super firm believer on. Uh, without even blinking that until you have cried until you have cried enough that you can empty your mind mm -hmm. that and that cup is full that you can actually then turn it over give it away pour it out somewhere else that you you really can't move forward with your life so i do know mm -hmm. now that you you know you obviously are i mean you're you're very very brilliant you're very accomplished he's also an actor mm -hmm. uh and has done so many different things that what part of this right now for you sustains you? Where's it, where does this new confidence in you come from? What have you done? What is the trigger? What could you tell all the people here listening to say, like, if you're, if you've experienced that, or this is your, your headspace right now. I, ma I managed to, to uh, yeah, I think the, the key for me was to understand that, that, as I said before, that I was the one that created my inhibitions, that mm -hmm. I created the fear that stopped me from doing things. I used to be somebody that was petrified of public speaking. I used to be somebody that was worried about talking to anybody that I thought in a relationship, if they were attractive, I, I would be, you know, beside myself. Uh, it's because I, I thought, you know, the only thing that had helped me do that was the drinks and drugs, you know, okay. uh, when I, when I became, uh, when I got sober, I was, 
you know, left there very raw. And I said to myself, okay, I'm in a situation now where I need to learn new skills that I did not have previously. And it's those new skills that I learned of actually repeating to myself mantras and things of saying that I am very capable. I am good. Those affirmations. And it was mm -hmm. over and over and over again. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't perfect, but it was a, it was the beginning and it was the growth. Yeah, and I think I, I've got to a point where it's, you know, I've done it so much now that it, I'm freewheeling now. Yeah, I appreciate that. One of the, as an artist, I mean, you're always out there, whether it's in acting or, you know, doing music, uh, performing, or simply doing the art, you, you are putting yourself out there. So at one, at certain points, you say to yourself, fear is not my currency. Mm -hmm. And 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 to get to that place, it it I mean, it's lifetimes. It does take a lifetime to experience yeah. all of this, and then be able to stand up and say, "I really don't care what any other person thinks about me, feels about me." Mm -hmm. You know, I would care if I've done something to hurt them, or sure. I have caused them some some form of pain and suffering, because mm -hmm. that's you know not what anybody wants to do. But just as a you know, the point of equanimity to be able to stand in the um, you know, to stand on the platform with others who you appreciate or you find, you know, perhaps they're smarter than you or they they're more accomplished or they have way more confidence than you mm -hmm. do. But at the same time, it's it's this place where you have to get super comfortable in your skin. And then, mm -hmm. yeah, Absolutely. and you are obviously now. Yeah, yeah gotta, no, I mean, what the fuck it switch? I mean, literally, you got to go, okay, yes. listen, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm not going to yeah. let myself be burdened by my own particular thoughts and be isolated in my own, my own mm -hmm. prison. And then once you break out of that and you get confident in knowing and understanding that life is unfolding as we go through it, it's in these moments where the, where the greatness is not in pontificating about the past or worrying about the future. It's just being yeah. like right here in this, this conversation that we're having right now and being able to say, listen, I may be different. I may be the black sheep or whatever it is, but I'm who I am and I'm comfortable with it. And that's the same yeah. place that I had to get to is honestly, Theo is the fact that I was a suit and tie speaker and I was going out there and saying everything else that everybody was saying. And my whole life was predicated on the fact if I can make you laugh, if I can make you think, if I can mm -hmm. over impress you with my my corporate job if i can get money then i'm safe and i'm secure and i'm happy and then ultimately when i got around my coach and she said you know you gotta get out of the survivor mode situation i was like what do you mean i'm in survivor mode i might make great money i've owned two houses i've got all these things she goes no mentally you're still in that survivor mode and we got to break that break yourself out of that and once i got out of that and flipped the fucking switch it was amazing how much more um connected and in flow i was with myself and with you know with god source universe and just really felt that i was on a mission to be authentic and congruent with who i truly was as opposed to worrying about oh if somebody doesn't like me then i won't be successful or somebody doesn't like me i won't have money and things of that nature and once i dropped into that and settled into it i left a lot of money and fame and everything else on the table but through that process i've been who i am authentically and congruently for so many years now that i feel that i'm you know i've lost you know i've gained so many years of my life because now i'm so much more healthier and i'm able to be there for my son in such a way that i wouldn't have been you know five or ten years ago talk to us about that for yourself what awakening what clarity did you get as you started transitioning out of the alcoholic that you were and into really embracing who you are now and what are some of those methods that keep you keep you focused and centered now i think you you touched upon something very important there it's the idea of what i thought other people thought of me yeah you know and being able to drop that was one of the biggest things that uh, enabled my freedom um, because I felt as though I was ruled about how I was presenting myself to the world and how I was presenting myself to the people. And I was presenting myself in a way that I thought that they wanted to see. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's so far from the truth. It's unbelievable because it's another idea of me creating an idea and believing it, you know. Um, when I realized that, you know, for me, what I conjure up in my head, uh, I need to sit it down and give it a, a bit of a talking to first and say, mm -hmm. you know, give it an interrogation because it's like, <laughs> I don't think you're actually, you know, you're not going to fool me this time because you're telling me stuff that is quite pretty much, you know, you see, you feel completely secure in telling me that that is the truth. But how do you know it's the truth? You know, because have you actually fact checked it? You know, and uh, for me, it's, it's that moment of clarity now of, you know, instead of reacting to the way my thoughts make me want to react, is to actually stop them and say, let's freeze, freeze the frame for a second. Yeah, have a look at it and say, is this true or is this just me again creating a lot of nonsense and I'm believing it again? Because for me, that was a massive, massive key of saying, okay, I don't believe actually any of that because I know for a fact that this and this and this and this. So why am I making myself believe that? And these are all things that are sort of deep rooted in me that have, you know, whether it's from some learned experience that I went through that has got sort of stuck in my brain is what I understand the world to be, you know, and I need to re-question myself and, you know, actually put myself into a, a perspective of saying, just because you believe it to be true doesn't mean it is true. Mm. Um, and I think that for me has been a life changer because it's saying, what about asking other people, asking a friend, asking whoever, and if you can't do that, you know, just give yourself the opportunity to not react immediately to things because that is where I've made most of my bad decisions. Most of my problems have stemmed from my immediate reaction and my knee-jerk reaction to things that, you know, is my default self from before. And if I'm able to sort of push that to the side and say, just, you know, hold on, I'll come to you in a minute, you right. know, um, then everything seems to open up for me. So with the world of... The world is science and the world is also made up of these, you know, magical fantasy dreams and things. I'm just curious because I'm also looking at the time. Sure. I I want to talk a little bit too about Authentify Art and sure. Metaverse and this because after what you've just shared with us, mm -hmm. you know, for you to be able to now be in this beyond tech and I mean, it's you are a very, very tech person and, and your ability to comprehend and understand so many things is, is you know, it's, it's staggering for for us who I mean, I'm I am nowhere near that level. I have a grasp, but, you know, some, sometimes when these things happen and after you've shared about, you know, having the injury, et cetera, that you had, like mm -hmm. you, you have obviously tackled or triggered something as well in your mind sure. that is like you're like in this genius zone yeah. that, that other people can't tackle. And, mm -hmm. and you and I have had, you know, very, very deep sort of technical yeah. conversations. You may not think they're super deep, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I the dictionary is yeah. always beside me. What the hell did that mean? And I'm <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I understand that program. <laughs> it's like, okay. well, I'll, I'll give you a quick sort of summary of the, the art, world okay. that I was used to and one of the reasons why I'm doing what I do now. Uh, I, you know, from having that 20, almost 26 years experience of the art market, international art market, I've seen some 
extremely foul play in that area. Nah. Oh, exactly. It's like, it's like, but you know, I, I can't say that the art market is the only place where that sort of stuff happens, but you know, it's when you're in it, you see the, the, the dark belly of it and you see the, um, the things that people have been conned by the people. And, you know, one of the unfortunate things for the art market is, is that most of the headline news that comes out is negative. Mm-hmm. It's about people being conned, people being sold a fake, you know. I've seen it happen and I've seen people do it and I've seen people take bribes. I've seen people, you know, the whole sort of dark side of it. And one of the reasons why I'm doing what I do now is because I've, I felt like I needed to extract myself from that and get out Sorry. of that sort of cycle of... Um, it wasn't just my own personal life, but the environment that you're in as well, mm-hmm. which can be can be sort of toxic to after a while. So I said to myself, let's, you know, if I have this opportunity of, you know, I had a change of life where I moved from London to the Dominican Republic. Uh, and at that point, it was a sort of a, a let go of my old work history, mm-hmm. and start anew. And it was just at that moment where I met uh, Curtis, uh, my colleague from Authentify Art, and he presented me with a vision of using technology to make the art world a more transparent, secure, safer place for not just buyers, but for sellers as well. Good. And this is about using current and existing technology to actually link the physical artworks that we see all the time in galleries and auction houses and museums to its digital home of using the blockchain. Now, the blockchain is a wonderful invention that is something that can hold information securely without it being tampered with. So mm-hmm. if whatever you put in that is the truth, it will stay the truth. Uh, what I found in the old way of the art market is, is that data and documentation can be manipulated just as artworks can be mm-hmm. to create different stories. Uh, and one of the most difficult things to do with especially older art is to get that sort of idea that what you're looking at is the right thing uh even the documentation as well because people are are very apt at forging documents as well as art so it's about the whole scenario around artworks making sure that that original receipt is actually the original receipt and not just a jpeg photo of some conjured up image of making you believe it it's right Right. So it's it's providing the blockchain, the platform that Authentify Art works in that has been created by them. And they come from a background of, uh, interestingly enough, not from the art perspective. They come from a background of a logistics and uh, supply chain sort mm-hmm. of technology, which has incredibly given a massive opportunity for somebody like my, me from the art world and people like them from that background to put the two together to create something that actually is useful and works extremely well in a realistic and practical way in a market that I know so well from a market that they know so well of the technology. So it's a marriage that really has functioned because when you look at a lot of software companies now that provide programming and software for the art world, they're always looking at it from a tech point of view and basing it on some idea of what they think the market needs. Right. But I've <laughs> had the opportunity of being from the beginning to actually create it in a way that is actually 
something that people want and need and built in the right way. So, so one aspect of this that I think is, you know, an obstacle, and it's and it's good to talk about that is the resistance. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've just sure. talked about the art world. You know, of course, there's a documentary, The Price of Everything. Yeah. You know, when they talk about art as futures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and and people are bidding Absolutely. and trying to position themselves that they know they're going to have the write off, so they've already got the next client lined up. You know, for their twenty, you know, sure. twenty four, twenty twenty five. Sure. So the resistance is also going to be there because when you are really justifying the value mm-hmm. of the of the artworks or the antiquities you have given it no escape yeah. so the rest of the world around you that knows all the loopholes they are going to say well is this really what we want you're tampering with you know a way of life in reality absolutely absolutely and i for, from my standpoint here is to say that there are people that operate in a way where their moral compass is mm-hmm. slightly off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I say that in a Not very British, British way. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and we are presenting an opportunity for people to utilize a way of moving forward in this market in a uh, morally north compass way. And to say that if you wish to wear that uh, integrity on your sleeve, follow us because yeah. this is the way you can do it and mm-hmm. everybody will understand that you are above the rest and by doing that and building a following on that and saying that you know come to me because i do it the right way it will start to bring people towards them and it's about what clients want it's not about how people act because yes. if we can if we can make it into the sense that it's what the consumer desires then the suppliers will have to change to that. So this is a revolution. This is a revolution. Yeah, absolutely. And from how I see it is, is that if you want to be a bad actor, fine, continue to do that, but without us, (laughs) you know, and eventually you will see that when people are aware of the fact that there is a safe, transparent, uh, clear option of going down, versus a slightly dark, shady uh, <laughs> route where there's people with attitude and look look you up and down. It's like, who needs no, like, that? Yeah, nobody nobody needs that stuff. One of the things I think about what you're talking about here, Theo, is all of a sudden I just got, I've been, I've been my attention has been brought to this whole chat, GBT, whatever it is, mm-hmm. this artificial yeah, intelligence. Yeah. What Absolutely. are your thoughts on art, artificial intelligence and art? Because one of the questions that I asked my friend recently, he says, oh, I went to this chat, GBT, whatever it was, and he says, I asked it to write an episode of uh, of Seinfeld where Jerry becomes the president. And this thing like writes out this whole story. So I said, what about the intellectual property? Like, how are we going to be able to justify like who, well, who really comes up with these ideas so I could see sure. how that could potentially impact the art world? What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? Or has that been something that's been discussed already? Yeah, I think firstly, it's the uh, the universities of the world are uh, really getting quite worried about this because this is a um, an ability for their students to produce content, which is a unique content, which is not plagiarism. Yep. So for them, they must be beside themselves trying to probably speak with the founders of these chat AI um, places to say there's got to be a way that we can protect ourselves in this situation. Uh, I find it an incredible tool. Uh, I think it's an incredible tool for 
research and for data collection uh, mm-hmm. and for sorting out data in in ways that you would never think was easily done like it can be today. Um, it's mind-blowing stuff. I think, and this is just in its infancy, it's so nascent that it's something that can be, I think, going forward in the future can be utilized in an incredible way. Yeah. And I'm just hoping that uh, people are going to take a big lesson from this crypto crash uh, <laughs> that technology can be used in the way it's built, designed for the greater good and not for greed. Uh, so we're great. yet again at this position, I think, in time where it's going to be abused. It's going to be used in a, in a, in a bad way uh, for gain. Uh, but I think, you know, the underlying belly of this, like we see with the crypto market, is, is that there is a phoenix to rise out of this because right. the technology behind it is all sound and has a great uh, use case scenario if used in the correct way. Christopher, so. you know Ken Walls and, and Craig mm-hmm. does Walt. And of course, Ken is a super genius when it comes to all things um, computer. And, I, and I'm part of one of those you know, their mastermind. And the other night they were talking about the new replacements of the chat GPT and some of them that have come out and some that actually Ken has been using for quite a long time. Yeah. Jaw dropping, mm. jaw dropping. I won't get into some of the names um, of the, of the, of them, you know, but to, to, to your point, we are looking at a, at a new path, a way yeah. of us, sort of meandering that will shift and change. Now at the LA NFT event, there was also, uh, you had invited somebody to, um, where they had the computer that had sort of de, sort of like tore apart one of those original, I don't remember if it was a Rembrandt or what painting Mm -hmm. was it? What? Uh, Leonardo da Vinci. It was the da Vinci. Okay, tell us a little bit about that process. Uh, This is a process of uh, utilizing a technology that has been around for a while, but presenting in a way that was never really possible before. This is taking multispectral imaging of ancient artworks and discovering uh, the story behind how those artworks were built with what materials. Uh, And it's basically a way of being able to visualize in a digital sense the, the painting that you actually see in real life, and then being able to sweep away the layers of paint bit by bit and going deeper into the painting and seeing what uh, pigments were used to create the colors, what uh, lead graphite was used to create the the underdrawing, what the structure of the wood was to see all the woodworms that uh, sort of, you know, destroyed the panel over the years, to see why a painting looks like it does because of its history. You know, and underneath that, mm-hmm. underneath that one particular one, I think it, there were elephants. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is the way to discover what a an artist's original intentions were when they wow. were creating the sketches for the painting on the, whether it was the canvas or on the wooden panel. Yeah. So we're able to see and go right back, strip away the paint to say, okay, they had intended originally to draw an elephant in the background there, but decided mm-hmm. to paint it over. Took it out. Yeah. So this is really great because with Lotus 97.7, of course, you know, we did the the, the series 
uh, to Pat Metheny and Neil mm-hmm. Peart. So Greg and I actually have drum kits that were painted on our canvases and then we've gone over them and we've, so I think in the future, there will be a lot of curiosity about what was a drum kit doing there? And all of a sudden you have this wisdom mm. auditor and then all of a sudden now you've got something else going over it. But a lot of artists over, over paint and repaint their, their canvases. Absolutely. So, but it's, it's, I think it's a cool tool because you'll be able to really get a gist of what was the mindset or what was this, you know, historically what was happening at that time. Sure. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the, those stories can go from outside influences as well. If it's that the, the people yes. that had commissioned the pieces, they come and visit Leonardo's studio in the middle of when he's painting and say, oh, God, I don't want that in the corner. Uh, <laughs> you know, what are people going to think in my church if you have that? You know, let's repaint it and do something else. So he yeah. was being paid for this. So he obviously had to do what they were wanting him to do. So, you know, right. it's an added layer of that storytelling behind art of, what we had never known that we were now given a privy insight into mm-hmm. seeing that little bit of history that nobody else has ever seen before in its 500 year history. It's like pretty amazing. It was that fascinating. Is, that is phenomenal. Um, I want to catch this uh, comment right here. Haley said, uh, Haley, thank you for being here. She says, isn't that the same as not knowing if an old painting was Da Vinci or his studio assistant just digitized? Does it matter whose hands touch the work or is the idea the art? Great one. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. And it's something that is uh, a very contentious question in the art world, because this uh, I don't know if you all were following that painting that sold for four hundred million dollars by no. Leonardo da Vinci in 2017. Oh, was it the, was the It was the Salvatore Mundi, the Christ figure with the orb. Mm-hmm. OK. Uh, and that was actually discovered by a colleague of mine here in New York at a small auction in uh, New Orleans for 700 bucks <laughs> oh my god no way and by doing and cleaning and stripping away the restorations and examining it just like the way that i had just uh, described uh certain scholars and people got together and put together a story to actually say that this is actually by the artist uh, leonardo and had been unattributed misattributed for so many years uh throughout its history that it was eventually rediscovered. And there are still questions about it because scholarly opinion can be very different. And uh, so, you know, but, you know, that question that you are is very important because by looking at how things were constructed underneath, you can actually make uh, informed decisions about which artist was actually involved in it because we understand that certain artists use certain techniques certain paints, mm-hmm. certain styles, uh, so that the more you can understand about it, the more that you can make a informed decision about whether that attribution and authenticity is actually by that artist or not. The legitimacy of it. Mm. I, I, I want to steer us a little bit here really quickly too. So I encouraged Christopher mm-hmm. to write a book. Yes, which, I'm writing it as we speak. Okay. And, and this was going on for a number of years now mm-hmm. because of the incredible shifts and changes in his, oh, there it is, there it is, it's going to be out. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Theo, if this is something that, um, you know, just now hearing so much more about your life, mm-hmm. and I mean, we all, all of us live um, hoping that we're going to leave a legacy, yes. whether it's going to impact or affect everyone who knows or hears about you. Have you thought about that? About writing a book? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I have. I have actually weirdly thought about writing a book because you know I've just told you a, a very small few things about my life. Okay. Um, there are many other stories to be told, and it's a weird and wonderful life that I've had. Uh, and you know, I, I am, I think, keen to put pen to paper. I think I still have a few chapters left to sort of, you know, get through in my real life. Sure. Uh, and I think, you know, there will definitely be a time uh, of when I can probably sit down and put that pen to paper. Maybe I, I should. Maybe I should start it now. I, would, I, think I would so. highly recommend that because you're going to start losing stuff in your memory. Cause I know that I started writing mine in 2020 and I'm going back through the first, first rough, rough edit and review. And I'm glad I wrote that because I'm like, I don't even remember this now. So yeah, I would definitely start making those notes now. And you could do like a, you could do like a, you know, here's my life through this part. Like my, my oh. story right now is mostly concentrated on my journey with my mother and everything else. I don't talk about my work stuff and, and dating and stuff like that. So there's a total different side of, an, of a memoir that I could actually write, but yeah, I highly recommend doing it because not only is, is it, you're, you're going to remember the things, but it's very interesting and in how your perception of your past, present and your future comes into play as you're writing, sure. because I'm trying to take the reader on this emotional journey, but now because because my perspective has changed so much about who I am and what I and and seeing that it all happened for me for my greater good. I've been interviewed hundreds of times, and people say, you know, don't you wish you would have had a normal childhood? And I'm like, well, normal. I don't know. It depends on what your definition of normal is. But when I was in the seventh grade, I was smoking pot. I've start went from being bullied to being the bullier. So if I would have stayed normal, I could have wound up in prison or jail or all far worse things. So I choose to see that life happened for me. All those different experiences helped me create the band that I am today. And as I've written this, it's really solidified who I am in a, in a, in a more profound way. So I highly recommend everybody to write their book, whether they ever publish it. But to go back and revisit things in intimate detail and to see how you've grown there's such a there's such a, a feeling of confidence and awareness and that like you know again that connection to deeper self that we started off the broadcast with it's been phenomenal for me i, I highly recommend everybody do it Great. not easy though <laughs> not easy yeah no I, I i i probably think there's going to be a lot of moments where it's going to be quite painful as well so yes Yes, because then you have to relive it again. I mean, for me in vivid detail, vivid detail, remembering all the ups and downs of my mother's journey, I'm even actually now to the point where, you know, she's only got a few more weeks to live. So I'm like rewriting that and and, and living that once again. And in the, all that same perspective and perception, um, it helps me have stay calm. It helps, helps me stay centered that no matter what it is that I'm going to go through, I've survived 100% of the things that I've been through already. God's not, God's not going to afford me the opportunity to go through my life squeaky queen for the rest of my life. So I know things are going to come up and I know I'm going to have the wherewithal and the ability to handle those storms and to be present and to not be reactive and to be responsive. Uh, it's pretty crazy what it is that you can do and a new angle on your life that you can find. Definitely. I want to ask um, Theo, what is the one thing and I know this is not really fair, but if there's a bucket list, mm -hmm. is there this one thing I'm just curious that you would love to do? And I'm, and I mean, from jumping out of a plane to um, deep sea diving, I have no idea, but is there, or, or who would you like to meet on this? Like if you could meet somebody, who would you like to meet? I think I've met so many weird and wonderful characters over my life. <laughs> but uh, uh, I don't have a burning desire to meet that many people. Uh, okay. I sort of, you know, I feel that there are some brilliant people out there that I probably would enjoy having a good conversation with. Um, but I think, you know, I think what I've traveled quite a lot of the world, but I still haven't 
travel to certain places, uh, and I'm not talking about traveling to extreme places. I think it's just about you know having the time to be able to really sort of go and explore and feel different cultures. I think the yeah. one thing about life is is experiencing different cultures because they are so vastly different, all of them. Uh, every country is it's has its wonderful way of being and its wonderful way of uh, having a society different than the next door neighbor. Uh, and, you know, for me, that's fascinating. And I love exploring and seeing how people are in different parts of the world. And there's still places I would like to go and see and sort of, you know, but not just visit for a week, but just to go and sit there for a couple of months and really absorb mm -hmm. it, soak it in, which mm -hmm. is quite a luxury, you know. Um, you know, I, I'm sure I will get to a point where that's uh, possible and, you know, I enjoy and and uh, take sort of comfort in thinking that that, that will happen quite too. <laughs> and Greg, yes, I do want drum <laughs> lessons as well. Uh, I think it will definitely be part of my continued education of life. Wow, Theo, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation with you, man. I mean, the, the time's already flown by. We've been going for an hour and eight minutes. Patricia, it's been so amazing doing this with you as well. Um, Theo, where can people get a hold of you and continue the conversation uh, about your work and about yourself as a, as a person? Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, the company that I work for is Authentify.art. That's the website you can see on the screen there, uh, Authentify.art. And uh, it has some very interesting explanations of what we do and how we're presenting ourselves to the world and to that art world, which is a weird, wonderful and mysterious place. Uh, we're here, it's a revolution and we will be changing it bit by bit. And I'm on the ground talking to as many people as possible and sort of putting the word out there and, you know, getting this thing going. Uh, and for me on a personal level, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, my full proper name, Theodore. Uh, Johns, and so you can find me there as well. And if anybody needs any advice on art or anything to do with history of art or anything to do with buying or selling or condition or anything like that, that is my lifeblood and that is what I do. So um, it can seem daunting to some people, but for me, it's a cinch. <laughs> I love it. It's your zone of genius. Like uh, Patricia said so eloquently earlier on, there's a, there's an amazing book, if you're not familiar with it, by uh, Guy Hendricks, Gay Hendricks, who wrote the book, The Big Leap. And then he talks about we can either operate in our zone of greatness, our zone of excellence, or our zone of genius. And for me, like in my corporate position and leadership and everything else, my master's degree is in organizational management, my zone of excellence all day long, leading, organizing teams, international logistics and operations. But my zone of genius is being able to do stuff like this, have inspiring conversations and getting people to think differently about their past, present, and their future to really harness who they are and fly their freak flag. So, man, it's Absolutely. been such a pleasure. Been I think one of, one, of my, one of my mottos for myself has always been, you know, why be the tail of the lion when you can be the head of the mouse? Yes. There you go. I love it. I love it. Well, brother, we're going to place you backstage. Patricia and I are going to uh, close out the show, but don't go anywhere because we still want to have a chat with you. But uh, thank you, brother, for this. It's been an honor to have you out here on the show. Well, thank you so much, Christopher. And thanks, Patty. You're welcome. You're welcome. Don't go anywhere. And there we are, Patty. What's going on? Final thoughts. You're here on the other side of the camera. You're on the other side of the, the situation. What are your thoughts on the conversation tonight? What are you walking away with as far as take-home items in your brain? Yeah, like I I mean, there's so much information that we didn't even we didn't even touch on. I I mean, I had this whole vision of the conversation going in this other direction to talk about, you know, the metaverse and and oh my God, like to have this. We'll have them back on. 
We'll have, heart, we'll have both of you back on. Yes. But this heartfelt truth, I mean, everybody goes through life bumps and bruises and, you know, and we, and we, we shadow them, we hide them. We, we always want everyone to see us for this is who we are. This is what we do. But underneath right. those layers, as, as look at how many times you and Scott, I mean, you've had so many incredible, you know, people on the show that when they, when you start digging into what it is that has happened to you, I mean, I wrote karmic alibi, Gaining mm. expedient wisdom by leaving your excuses behind because I'd had so many things happen to me in my life. After a while, it just becomes like you got to have a sense of humor. Like you've got to <laughs> find a way because you've survived all of this, right? Right. And I think for Theo, this you know sharing, but the um, you know it's it's almost like you see the person and you you say no, this isn't that that didn't happen. No, mm -hmm. I that doesn't make sense. But you know. Uh, uh, huge kudos, great respect. I mean, he's he is a very, very, very brilliant man. No question, hands down, and uh, super respected. But I I love the fact that we were able to um, make him laugh too. So <laughs> one thing yeah. I want to say is laughter. One of we, you know, we named a painting uh, laughter. I think this is something Greg always says. Anyways, laughter is insanity turned inside out. Yes, that's I, I love that laughter is insanity turned inside out. That was one of Greg's lines. And Mr. Greg says here is his life is a minestrone all covered in cheese. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, we got to get Greg on the show as well. I mean, I totally agree oh, with yeah. you. I, I love I love how, you know, he's so well spoken and he and he talks about, you know, with, with, with great concern and compassion for his former self and the fact that, you know, he was this alcoholic and he was trying to run from things and, and trying to paint a different picture in his brain, if you will, pardon the pun, but yeah. actually pun intended, um, to be the person he is now to have to go through those experiences. And I was just telling somebody the other day, like, you know, most of us change, have big changes in our life because we've hit bottom, we've hit the bottom of something. And it's always my desire and my inclination to have these types of conversations for people to have that experience without having to go through that pain. But I love the fact that he just got real with himself and started asking himself different questions because as the people know that watch this show i'm a huge fan of like when you start asking yourself different questions and you're honest with yourself you can start to change the trajectory of what it is you're doing he's like wow is this really serving my greater good is this really mm -hmm. serving who i am and am i willing to continue going down this rabbit hole and, and, and hoping wishing and praying that something different happens and instead he changed his life around and now he's a, a dad of two beautiful girls and mm -hmm. he's out there doing what he loves to do and he's making a difference in the world and he's creating a legacy that ultimately he's going to be proud of handing down to his daughters and his family and he's by no means done yet so it's going to be pretty incredible to see what he does with his gifts and his talents moving yeah. forward to be able to empower you know uh, himself, first mm -hmm. of all, I mean, just to, to sit in that, it, you know, all of that is just, it's just uh, infectious. It's like, I want more. I want to hear more. Tell me more so that I can learn something from it. I can get through my own demons. Yes. Yes. And where can people get a hold of you and learn more about you, my dear Patricia? I call you Patty uh, and Patricia. So, no. Yes. Yes. So mm -hmm. I'm doing the, the uh, karmic art experience, but just patriciacarengeigich.com. And always, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I have a Facebook, couple of Facebook pages, but uh, yeah, easy to find me. And I will put all those links in the show notes for you guys to okay. be able to catch it, whether you guys are listening on the podcast, watching this live or on the replay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We had so many brilliant people commenting on here. We had Robert in the house. We had uh, Jacqueline in the house. We have, of course, Greg in the house. Uh, I love this fact. I, I didn't get a chance to highlight this. He goes, my purpose is to make Patty the next John Bonham. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to see videos. You guys, you guys need to come up with a YouTube channel just, just dedicated to that, to, to drumming and art. That would be <laughs> beautiful. I love that. 
Um, so many beautiful people in here that, uh, yeah. And Greg also said here, act and not react. That's something I teach people is how to respond versus react and not, and take that emotional equivalent out there and be able to look at yeah. something objectively. So I'm, I'm glad you, oh, that's Glenda said that. I'm sorry. I thought Thank it was Greg. Yeah. My, my brain is all over the place. Um, and, uh, Jacqueline asked a great question. We can all ponder what well, question, yeah. what is the meaning of life in right. a nutshell? Oh boy. Um, the meaning of life is to enjoy it, to expand your horizons and to go experience all the different things in the world, to have a rounded experience though, that you ultimately leave a legacy that you're going to be happy and proud of. That was just off the top of my head. Wow. <laughs> We'll have to go back and record that. So with that, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, all of you guys, uh, just thank you so much for being here. I'll, of course, I'll go back and comment on your comments. We appreciate you. Um, the contacts to get a hold of Theo are right here. So you just got to click on them and go uh, put those, uh, go connect with them on LinkedIn. I'll put the same in there for you, Patty. And I just appreciate you and honor you and love you and so grateful to have you in my life. You've introduced me to so many beautiful people who are now a part of my crew. And I just can't wait to see what's next for you because I love the fact that you're just exploding and you continue to explode in such a great way and exploring who you are and finding that 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 new fun again, you know, with being a drummer and everything else and going to these art exhibits and receiving your awards. I thank you and I love you so much. I appreciate you for being here, guest hosting with me. I'd love to have you back and do it again. Absolutely. I loved it. It was great fun. And of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a super fan. Um, but I think our, our bottom line is that when you show up like this and you have nothing expected and it's all from the heart, I think that's what makes a difference. And, and that's why I love you too. I think it always just comes right down to it. And Scott, I mean, mm -hmm. I hope you're having an amazing trip. Uh, I know he is, but he is. Have you seen the pictures? He can, yes. Oh my gosh. Lions <laughs> and tigers and I know, but he can go again and I'll, I'll fill in for him. No problem. Well, you got a spot. You got a spot. I appreciate okay. you. So what are you doing down there in Florida? Are you allowed to tell us? Actually? Yes. I'm going to, uh, the Perez museum is actually having an acquisition, uh, their 12th anniversary, big, big, big event tomorrow evening in Miami. So I'm going as a guest of Northern trust to celebrate and meet some art people and have some conversations and talk about authentify art and my own work. And then a couple of days of swimming, just going to chill and nice. back on a plane and come home. So, yeah. Awesome. 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 Well, thank you for being here with me. Thank you guys all for being here, whether you're live or on the replay, as always go back to www.theunfilteredexperience.com. Let us know who it is that you'd like to see on the show. What types of subjects you would like us to have us do when Scott does return. We have mentioned this. I'm not sure if you heard this Patty, but we're going to start doing seasons of the show. So we're going to like take and like find up like a, a banner subject and then have different guests that come on to support that. So it'll be a season talking about mindset or a season talking about spiritual connection or, or chakras or whatever it might be. So we'll have a season and we'll have guest speakers on there and I'm sure you're going to fall into that category. So it's something new we're doing. We're just going to give it a shot and try it out and uh, and continue to have fun. But for you guys out there in radio land and TV land, let us know what it is that you want to see. If you have a person that you've seen on another podcast you think it would be great fit, by all means, just send us a, a message through the unfilteredexperience.com and we'd love to entertain that and join the Facebook community. And until then, we uh, will be back here next week. Let's see, who do we have next week on the show? Let me see what I mean. I think next week might be a solo show. Because that's one of the things people ask, like, can you tell us who's going to be up on your show next week? And I think, what do we have next week? We have, um, yeah, we have a solo show next week. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Where am I? Uh, what's today? February. Today is 10th. 10th. So 
it'll be oh yeah so we have linda we have linda dong uh next friday night she's an amazing person uh spiritual mentor and whatnot so she's going to be on the show next friday night 5 p.m pacific standard time we love you guys go have a beautiful weekend and we will see you next time on the unfiltered experience love you guys ciao love you